Welcome back to I'd Rather Be at the Beach, brought to you by Bonjour. This is the podcast for school marketing people that's nothing to do with school marketing because, let's face it, you work hard enough already, so this is just for fun. In each episode, I speak to someone in the sector who won't talk about work, but we get to find out about them as a person. And in this episode, you find me talking to Rachel Hadley Leonard. Now, fun fact, back when I started my photography business working with schools, I did that marketing exercise of working out who my avatar was. And the person I created was based off Rachel Hadley Leonard. What's funnier is that she won't know this fact until she's listening to this introduction. Now, Rachel has spent many years working in the world of school marketing, but unless you're new to the sector, you probably know that already. Today, though, she's talking to us about things not to do with work. So if you want to know the real RHL, then stick around for this episode. Take my hand and come with me as we speak to the person who is Rachel Hadley Leonard. Rachel, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being here. How are you doing today? Thank you, Simon. Yes, I'm good, thank you. I am sitting here in my office at the moment, but I've got a really busy day ahead. It's first thing. We're having a nine o'clock call. Then I've got a few more meetings and then I'm heading down to London, which I'm really excited about because it's the first big face-to-face event that I've been to in a while. So it's a joint AMCIS IAPS conference tomorrow. Awesome. So heading down to London this afternoon. So yeah. And where is home for you? You say you're heading down. Where, where is home? I'm so lucky. I live in Warwickshire and I can look out of my window now and I can see fields at the front. If I looked the other way, there's a brick wall, but uh, beyond that is fields at the back. And I live in a town called Kenilworth, which has a beautiful castle. I can walk to the castle from my front door. We've got HS2, just the other side of the Greenway. But we try not to think about that. HS2, is, is that, I mean, how close to you is that? Is, is there, will you be able to hear it from home? So apparently, I don't know if this is true, apparently... The village I live in, which is Burton Green, just outside Kenilworth, is the most affected affected village on the whole of the HS2 route oh, in gosh. terms of disruption. Mm. So it's horrific. It's it's awful. The the scar breaks my heart. If I walk out and to the left, it, it just breaks my heart, what I can see, the scar on the landscape. But we are lucky where we live in that there are two fields and then what's called the Greenway, which was ironically an old railway line. And then it will be HS2. So actually, we're not affected at all. We won't see it and we won't hear it. But I don't think we'll hear it. But yeah, I, I'm a big outdoors person. And so for me, it's it's just horrific. I don't want to get into a political debate about HS2. But yeah, it's pretty pretty shocking what's happened here in our village. Okay, so Rachel, a number of people know you in the school marketing world. Tell us a little bit about your marketing career before you started doing what you're doing right now. Yeah, sure. So I have had a really strange sort of dual faced career throughout the last 30 years, which I think is more common now for our young people, isn't it? To have two, three, four careers. But at the time, it probably wasn't. But I don't fit many norms in life. So this is probably a good example of one. And I kind of had a dual career in both marketing and education. So my my very first career was in teaching. I was trained as a teacher. My subjects were English and PE. But at the same time, I had been involved in some charitable fundraising and also some marketing. And I ended up working for the John Lewis Partnership, as well as some other organisations part time, which was almost simultaneous with my teaching career as well. So there became a natural 
point where I'd worked my way up through teaching, I'd been a senior leader, I'd been head of department, etc., where I'd done more and more marketing and, and, and schools were getting into marketing. And I just thought, you know what, this is the time to marry my skills together and merge and become a school marketer. So that's kind of what I did. I'm going back a long time ago now. But before school marketing really was a thing, and I became involved with AMKIS or AMDIS as was then, which was a fantastic way to immerse myself in, in other people like my, myself. So, yeah, that's kind of a potted history. Tell us a bit more then about your early career. I mean, you know, what was it like when you were starting out in your career? How did you feel back then? And tell us a bit more about the detail of the kind of things that you were doing. So in, do you mean in terms of the school's marketing once I mm. merged the two careers together? Well, no, I'm thinking back before then, you know, earlier on when you're, you know, you mentioned about teaching, what kind of things happened there? You know, what, what was your experience back then of that? Okay, so I loved being a teacher. I absolutely loved it. I think I was one of those people for whom it was a real vocation. I loved working with children of all ages. I was teaching sport. I was in the outdoors a lot and... It was fantastic. I just loved, and I, and I then actually developed into working with, I became qualified in special needs teaching. So I was working a lot with dyslexic, uh, dyspraxic, ADHD children, which was hugely rewarding as well. But all the way through, I was really fortunate that I got to, I got to have some fantastic experiences that I wouldn't have had, had I not gone into teaching. So mm-hmm. I did a mix of working in the maintained sector and the independent sector, but the majority of my teaching was in the independent sector. And as such, I got to go on some fantastic trips. So, for example, I went to Bolivia and Peru on a month's trek and trekked wow. to Machu Picchu. We did it the, the proper way, carrying our own rucksacks and without porters or transport. We had porters, actually, but not that carried our, our gear. And that was just, you know, as a young woman, that was absolutely mind-blowing it was such an experience to be fully immersed in those two countries it was outstanding it was amazing so yeah I was I was really lucky and I I got to share that with the young people that we were taking we took about 40 young people age sort of 16 and upwards 16 to 18 sixth formers predominantly it was just great to be alongside them for a month sharing those things and those experiences and seeing completely different cultures. So I was really lucky that that was woven into my teaching career. So how old were you back then when you were doing that? And tell me what it was like being in countries like Bolivia. Gosh, I would have been very young. I'd have been about 24 years old, 25 maybe. So not much older than than my children now, actually. And it was eye-opening, you know, but I've always wanted to go back to Bolivia in particular since. I think it's got to be down as one of my favourite countries that I've ever visited. Just that immersion, and it was so important for the young people that we were with. I mean, I was young myself. I was only sort of eight years older than the, the kids we were taking. But mm. it was so important, I think, for them and, and myself to see that different culture. Bolivia is a vibrant country. It's It's a passionate country. It's full of massively um the, the hues the colors are just out of this world that the one thing i remember about bolivia is is the the, the freezing cold and the, the the colorful smiley nature of the people uh, and there's color everywhere you know it, it, it's exactly as you might imagine it pan pipes playing all the time that's not just a, a thing there are, there's a festival every corner you turn so literally you're trekking in the middle of nowhere and you stumble across a village that may not have seen outsiders for a year and and they're having a festival 
it, it's such <laughs> a vibrant country with with such warm, engaging people. I cannot wait to go back. It's on my it's on my bucket list to go back. Tell us about other places you went to because you mentioned you did a few different trips. Yeah, absolutely. I did all sorts of trips with schools. I was really lucky. Did a lot of skiing, actually. Ran ski trips for about 10 years, which is a huge passion of mine, skiing. And so very fortunate to take children all over the Alps, getting them outdoors, skiing. Also went to lots of European cities. <laughs> I, had a, I had a funny incident once where I was actually on a trip that was, it wasn't directly to do with a school trip, but I was, I was flying to Milan to see some people that I'd met through teaching English as a foreign language, because I did quite a few summers of that as well. And at the time, I was teaching in a in a junior school, in a prep school. And back back in the day, there was topic teaching was that was the, the the vehicle through which you taught, rather than you know numeracy literacy. I, you know, I think we're doing full circle now, really. Mm. And I was doing a topic on transport, and of course, this was for before the tragic nine eleven events. And so, I thought, you know what, I I, I want to have a word with the pilot here. So I, I said to the air steward uh, or air hostess, I think they were called at the time. I said, do you mind if I have a chat with the pilot? Is it possible to have a chat with the pilot because I'm I'm working with my children back in my classroom on topic of transport it'd be great to get some photographs from inside the the cockpit I mean imagine imagine you doing that now but you know getting interviewing the pilot maybe and getting some first-hand experiences and she went away and she came back and she said you know what it's a really quiet plane that the the pilots there were literally only about 30 people on the plane the pilot's happy for you to to come up and have a chat with him so that was back in the day when you could go through the doors into the cockpit Mm. so there I am I introduced myself to the pilot and his co-pilot and we got chatting and he let me take photographs, which again, you oh, just couldn't do now. <laughs> no. And then to, to my surprise, we must have got on quite well. And he just said, do you know what, do you, do you want to, do you want to stay up here for the rest of the flight? And there's a jump seat that slides out from behind the co-pilot seat. And he just mm-hmm. slid out this jump seat, strapped me into this jump seat and said, why don't you fly back with us and land with us? And it was just like, wow. So yeah. they plugged me into to headphones, a bit like the ones I'm wearing now. And I flew all the way back from Milan and, and actually landed. And the thing I remember most was when, you know, the guy who has the big lollipop sticks that sort of guides in the plane. I don't know what he's called, but whatever that chap's called. Mm-hmm. Sort of look of surprise on his face when he saw a third person in the cockpit who was just little old me <laughs> just sitting there. But it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And and actually, it was great material to take back to my my class back in back at school and tell them all about my experience but I'm so privileged Simon to, to have done that because nobody gets to do that now yeah unless you never pilot. do that no chance wow and tell me what it was Amazing. like for the actual landing then because you know it's, it's, it's one thing surely to be flying in the cockpit of a plane when you're at 30,000 feet but the actual landing must have been pretty exhilarating I imagine from right right up front absolutely the thing I remember most Simon is the flying over the channel because I think the channel is one of, if not the busiest shipping channels, if you like, in the world. I, I don't know. I'm not an expert, maritime expert, but I, I believe I think it you're is. right. I think you're right. Yeah. And it was just phenomenal because, yeah, I, th- I think so. So normally, obviously, if you're lucky, you're sitting by a window in an aeroplane and you get that view. But it's a completely different view when you're sitting in the cockpit and you've got 180 degree glass all around you and you can see everything. And I just remember, I remember that more than anything as we flew over the English Channel and then coming in to land, I'd, I'd, I'd been, and maybe this is why I did it, 
going back now. I'm just, I'm just remembering. I'd been, I, someone had bought me for my birthday when I was about 18. Maybe it was an 18th present, a, a cockpit experience. You know, you can do these simulators. So I'd kind of been in that simulator situation before, but this was for real this time. And mm. uh, I just remember it, it being a lot scarier than being in the simulator and thinking, oh my God. And there was that sense of being a lot nearer the the, the ground than perhaps the passengers mm. in the uh, in the back of the plane as you come into land. But yeah, it's something I will never forget. Never forget. Rachel, tell me something about what you enjoy doing when you're not at work. Let's imagine it's weekend, it's your time completely, you're not working with schools, you're not doing anything at all to do with school marketing. What do you enjoy doing? I think the answer to that, Simon, is I've got to be outside. So I am an outdoor person through and through. I spend my life, working life, indoors at my office, on Zoom calls now, meeting people at conferences, working with schools, sitting in head teachers' offices, marketing directors' offices. So I kind of want to be doing the opposite when it's it's my downtime. So I am mm. always outside. So it doesn't matter whether I'm walking. I think I mentioned before I can walk from out of my front door and, and back gate either way. So I try and walk every day. In fact, I do walk every day. I, I make time to power walk. Even if it's in the dark, I do at least a 30, 40 minute power walk every day. At the weekend, I don't so much power walk. That's more of a fitness thing to keep fit and get some fresh air. At the weekend, I'd go on longer walks and I either walk I don't know, like next Saturday, for example, it's my birthday and there's a crowd of us. There's about 20 of us going to walk up a place called Breeden Hill near Evesham. And that'll be about a three, four hour walk that we'll do. So I'm always walking. I love the outdoors. I love being in nature. And when it's holiday time, if I if I get to take a, a break and, and go away, I, I always or almost always go by the coast, no matter which country I'm by the coast and that's my happy place. That's where I feel I can think. It's where I feel I can breathe. And I know that's true for a lot of people, the sort of therapeutic benefits of the sea. But for me, the, the, the thing of being by the sea and walking is huge. So I've done sections of the Southwest Coast Path already. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. my challenge that I've been planning to do now for three years is... I, I, the plan is this September and October to take a two-month sabbatical quite quite how I'm going to do that with my workload at the moment, I'm not sure. <laughs> and I'm going to walk the whole of the Southwest Coast Path on my own, which is 630 miles end to end, day to day, wow. get up every morning, walk. Okay. Southwest Coast yeah. Path, 630 miles, you say. Where does that go from and to in that case? It goes from Minehead in, in not Dorset, in Devon. Mm -hmm. uh, Devon? Yes, Devon. Uh, Devon? Yes, it is Devon. All the way around. So it follows the North Devon coast. It follows the North Cornish coast all the way down to Land's End. And then it comes back up the other way and it finishes at Poole in Dorset. So you literally just, if you can imagine the bit, you know, the Cornish bit that sticks out at the bottom, you're, you're starting in Minehead, walking all the way down and all the way around. 630 miles but it's equivalent because it's it's not 630 miles of flat it's equivalent to walking climbing Everest four times so oh, that's no. the elevation wow. that you cover yeah wow. Everest four times right <laughs> with a pack wow okay so so let's get this right you start at Minehead then you go down the north coast of Devon north coast of Cornwall hook around Land's End Penzance and then up yep. past Plymouth yep. along the south coast and then past Exeter, where my daughter's at university, pop in and see Correct. her. 
and then keep on going okay, until you yeah. get as far yeah. as Poole. I'll need a place Gosh, to stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's 630 miles then, is it? It is exactly, exactly 630 miles. There, there are, there'll be bits added on because sometimes you can't always stay right where you stop at the end of that day. And I'm, I'm going to do a combination of staying in B&Bs, of staying in youth hostels. I am undecided yet. I'm a big camper, but I may or may not take camping gear with me. That adds a hell of a lot to the weight that I'll be mm. carrying every day. And so I may just just use bed and breakfast and hostels. And then at the end, there's going to be one heck of a nice hotel. (laughs) Rightly so. I'm completely with you about the idea of camping because there is so much that you have to take and carry and it's on your back the whole time for (laughs) every one of those 630 miles if you're camping. But I guess the, the, the downside of not camping is that you are dependent on reaching each of your target destinations by the end of each day. You are. So that's a thing. There is a a guide to doing this route and that sets out how many miles you do each day. I'm not going to do that. I'm setting myself an approximate number of miles each day and I will push on. I'll just have to. I'll have to crack on until I find somewhere else to stay. What I'm not going to do in the main is book my accommodation in advance. The reason I'm going to do it, the reason I can't do it July, August, it's just too busy. You know, you'd never mm. get accommodation. It's way too busy. Mm. I also don't want to be walking the the path with, you know, thousands of other tourists. But September and October, the weather's still reasonably good and the daylight hours are good. But yeah, you have to sort of crack on. I mean, worst case scenario, you can, you can, you know, I could get to a road, call a taxi, get to where I'm staying and then come back in the morning. Not so that I'm cheating, but just so that, you know, I I start and finish at the same place. So you're still covering Mm. the same number of miles. So it's not, it's not too bad. And I I am lucky that I've got a few people dotted around that coast that hopefully I'll be able to hook up and stay with. I might now ring your daughter and uh, ask her, but there are a few people that I can, I can, you know, get, get a bed for the night. So but yeah, it's so exciting. I've got lots and lots of planning to do. Funnily enough, I want to do a podcast, uh, Simon, on the trip. So I'll be talking to you at another time about that. <laughs> but it's just so exciting. It's something I've wanted to do for ages and ages. Work, work's going to be tricky. But hopefully people will understand and, and hang on and wait for me till I get back. But mm. it, it's got to be done. One of the, my clients that I work for at the moment, it's, it's a trust, the Educational Development Trust, a uh, little plug there. And... Deborah said to me the other day, she said, you've got to do it. You know, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? You've got to do it. Mm. Just just mm. move heaven and earth to do it. And and she's right. I've got to make it happen. So, yeah, this is the year. This is the year. And and I think that's great advice as well. I mean, you know, we, we, we do hear about these kind of things, don't we? You know, about people saying just do it. And you see things on LinkedIn where people, you know, post pictures up with words over the top saying, you know, just go for it. And it's very easy just to gloss over those and think, yeah, you know, we, we've seen these messages before. But actually, everybody's right. We've just got to get on and do it. Because if we don't do these things, then another year passes by, another year passes by. And all of a sudden, we're sort of in our 50s, we're in our 60s, we're nudging towards our 70s. And we're thinking, hang on, we didn't do those things back then. And now it's a little bit more tricky to do those things. You're absolutely right, Simon. And I think, I mean, I live by the motto Carpe Diem. It's, it, I always have. I People who know me say I fit 48,000 to every 24-hour period. <laughs> and so I do, my philosophy on life has always been Carpe Diem. And, and, you know, I think if we don't, I don't just seize the day, I seize the hour. And so mm. I think it's really important to do that. Um, 
I think people who, who know me well think I'm a little bit bonkers and think that I naturally need some downtime and learn how to chill and relax. But, you know, for me, that is relaxing. For me, walking four times the height of Everest over two months on my own in the wind and rain and sunshine is is mm. relaxing. That's mm. that's how I get my downtime and my relaxation and my escape. So I think you're right. The other thing is, you know, I'm fit now. I'm in reasonably good health, touch wood. And, you know, I have got beginnings of arthritis. And, you know, if I don't do it now or next year or, or the year after, when will I do it? You know, mm. who knows what's going to happen? And so I think I'm fortunate that I'm young enough and fit enough to do something that will be a huge mental and physical challenge. I mean, I'm not underestimating it at all. But yeah, I've just got to crack on and and do it. And uh, hopefully I'll get lots of support from my friends, from family, from sort of my my the schools that I work with as well. Hopefully they'll be cheering me on from from afar. So yeah, that's that's the plan. Yeah, I'm sure you'll get a lot of support from the whole school marketing community. So yeah, do keep us updated on that. Uh, now, Rachel, a long time ago, you mentioned to me that you're fascinated by six degrees of separation. What's that all about? Tell us something about that. So I am. And actually, it's it's through my travels that that becomes ever more interesting, really. So six degrees of separation, which I'm sure most people will will have heard of, about the fact that apparently we are only ever separated from anyone else in the world by six connections. And I find that absolutely, A, mind-blowing, B, fantastic, and and C, something to explore further, because Mm. what a concept. That is absolutely brilliant. And actually, I was out walking on Sunday and chatting about this with with some friends. And and I was saying, but I don't know how it works for the third world, perhaps, you know, or I don't know how it works for really far flung places. And and as it happened that that the guy I was talking to, Paul, he said, well, you know, he was brought up, uh, his his father was a, a, a chaplain a priest and he was brought up on Tonga the island of Tonga and so he was saying you know I am so I will know people and my father will know people who who live in the Tongan community and and there's so you might only be two degrees of separation away from someone in Tonga so and this happens all the time it's just Mm. amazing so so many things so many examples of this have happened to me that the, the best one is when one of my favorite cities is is malaga i love mm-hmm. malaga city it's probably my second favorite spanish city after seville and i was there on my own i, I travel a lot on my own I, I do have a husband and a family but i i also like to travel on my own and i was sitting outside on what i thought was the only last stool by some little tapas bars that surround the market in malaga if you've ever mm-hmm. been to malaga it's got the most fantastic market you should should go if you haven't and i was sitting there on the stool just minding my own business really enjoying soaking up the atmosphere and people watching and then two guys came and sort of tried looked as if they were trying to get past me and I noticed there were two stools empty actually because another couple had exited behind me the only two stools in the whole place they sort of had to squeeze past me everyone was really tightly jammed in it was Mm pre-covid times and we started chatting as you do sort of they said oh sorry we've got to squeeze past you and I said no it's fine and then they started asking what I was eating and that looked good and did they did I recommend it and we just started chatting and and it turns out that one of these guys' best friend, he'd just been to his best friend's wedding and he had married somebody. Turns out the, the guy he'd married owned Belvedere Vodka 
Now that it's not every day you bump into someone who knows someone who owns Belvedere Vodka, so it stuck mm. in my mind, and I went, mm. "Oh my gosh, I, I also know someone who knows someone who owns Belvedere Vodka." And so we got talking, and it turns out that my daughter was at drama school with a, a chap called Victor, who was the partner of the guy who owns Belvedere Vodka, and it just—that mm. is a perfect example. And, and and what are the chances, Simon, of that happening? You know, I'm mm. sitting mm. in a market in Malaga on my own. And the only two seats next to me. And then there's this link created. And I just want to explore that more and more. I'd love mm. to write a book about it one day. Writing a book is also on my bucket list of things to do. Mm-hmm. And I find it fascinating. So if you and I were to explore this, Simon, I mean, obviously, I obviously know you, but, mm-hmm. you know, there will be other people in far-flung places in the world that connect us both together. And mm. I just find the whole thing absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I, I remember seeing on Facebook a couple of months ago, somebody commented on something that I wrote and I, I didn't know this person at all. And so I clicked on his, I was, I was being a bit nosy. So I clicked on his profile in, in Facebook and it came up saying two mutual friends. And the yeah. two mutual friends that this person had were two people that were just so completely different to each other. And I could not believe that this person knew a, my closest friend from when I was at school and B, this business contact that I generated about two, two, three years ago. So there's a situation, just a very small situation, where where, where those three people are, are connected, and uh, there's no way at all that I put them anywhere near each other in any any kind of connection. But like you say, all that you need really is just one person who knows somebody in you know in India or Africa or Australia or anywhere in the world, and all yeah. of a sudden that opens up that whole area for those six degrees of separation. You're absolutely right. And I just, I just, you know, as you will have done, I love it when it happens. And it makes me laugh in a way because, you know, there's an old joke, isn't there, that you sort of say to someone, you know, where are you from? And they say Australia. And you say, oh, do you, do you know, do you know, Anne? They live in Australia as well. And everybody laughs, you know, because of course they don't know Anne because Australia is a very big place. But actually, they, they will know Anne through about probably only about four other people. And I find that absolutely mind blowing. And it just means. I think it's got really important implications as well, if I can get a bit deep and philosophical, <laughs> because, you know, it, it brings us all closer together, doesn't it? And it makes the world a smaller place and it ties us all together and it gives us all links and, and commonality. And I think that's a great thing for humanity. I'm sorry to get a bit deep on you, but, you know, that it's important to remember, I think, that we we are all connected and you know, the world is a small place and we should be looking out for people mm. in all parts of the world. And so, yeah, it's that's another side of it that, that's just really important, I think. Mm. I think it's a great side to explore as well. I really do. But Rachel, I'm keeping an eye on time because we, we need to bring this episode to a close in a moment, which is a real shame because I'm loving talking about this. But tell me, if anybody wants to find out more about you, how could they go about doing that? So absolutely. Well, you can, you can, I do have an Instagram account, but actually it's a stalking Instagram account. I use it to stalk, not to post. <laughs> I love that. But I, I'm on LinkedIn, basically. I, I freely admit to that. I, I'm seeing MFL uh, Digital Marketer tomorrow, and she'd probably be horrified at the fact I, I stalk and not post, but uh, shout out to Emma. But uh, LinkedIn is the place that you can find me. I, I've got a website, RHL Consulting, but also I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So just connect with me if you'd like to on LinkedIn. And yeah, that's the, that's the best way to connect with me. I love LinkedIn. I'm on it several times a day. In fact, I was in the middle of writing a LinkedIn post about the AMCAS conference tomorrow, Simon, before we went on this call. So yeah, just reach me either through the website, RHL Consulting, or 
or LinkedIn. Fantastic. Uh, I'd be great to talk to anyone about anything. Uh, and it's six degrees of separation, walking the Southwest Coast path, or even schools marketing. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love it. Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here and have a great birthday on Saturday. I think you mentioned it's this coming Saturday. So I hope you have a great birthday then. Thank you, Simon. That's great. Thanks a lot. So that was Rachel Hadley-Leonard giving up her time and about to celebrate her birthday. Actually, by the time this comes out, her birthday will have come and gone. So a late happy birthday to you, Rachel. But a big thank you for coming on to this episode of the podcast. It was great having you on. Now, dear listener, an important fact is that you are still here right now, proving that people listen to podcasts all the way through to the end. To find out more about podcasting in your school for your own marketing purposes, then come visit our website, thebonjouragency.com, and you can find out more there. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode. The next one is coming out soon, so click that option to follow or subscribe, and it just means that you won't miss out. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.